0: The second one is Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1 starting at verse 1 and it's on page 697 of my my, um, pew Bible. Everything is meaningless. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labour at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who was ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief.
1: A uh, cheerful word to all of you doing exams at the moment. (laughs) Um, Would you like to turn around and say g'day to each other? I'll just take a minute to set up and I'll call you back. So, hello, my name is, and then do the same. Alright, I'll uh, just get your attention back again. Feel free to continue those conversations later uh, at the coffee house. I'll pray for us and then we'll, we'll get stuck into it. Let's pray. Uh, great God of heaven, uh, we pray as we come to what is a very humbling uh, and yet at the same time a very liberating word from you to us. We pray you do both those things in us. Would you please humble us? Would you please set us free uh, to live lives of worship under Christ? And we pray it, uh, for his honour and glory. Amen. I mean, you don't see them uh, much anymore, but there was a time when car bumper stickers were all the rage. Uh, These days we still have that kind of my family stickers with the little people, 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 dog, 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 or whatever it happens to be. We still have the footy membership stickers around the place, maybe a few Light FM stickers, I still notice uh, some of those. But there was a time when a clever bumper sticker was a very, very trendy thing. Uh, if you're a funny person, you, you might have a bumper sticker that said something like, you know, keep honking, I'm reloading. Uh, if you're you know, out in the country where I was from perhaps. Uh, if, if you're a scary kind of person, you, you had a bumper sticker, that, you know, guns don't kill people, I kill people. Yeah, that sort of. uh, if you're more serious, you might have your chosen political party there across your bumper. But, but amongst the most popular, uh, as best as I can remember, were the... Life is bumper stickers. So you might have life is fishing, if you're a mad, keen fisherman. Or or life is cricket, if you're a mad, keen cricketer. Or life is is poodles, Um, if you really shook it out just a little bit more. Anyway, it got me thinking as I was preparing for this part of the Bible suppose that craze came back again? Suppose you could have a, a life is bumper sticker on the back of your life, how would you finish it? If you could blazon across the back of your car, what makes life life for you, what would it say? Or perhaps just to make it a bit more interesting, imagine your family or your friends, or imagine your, your, your Facebook account could make it up for you, what would it say? Life is having the best time ever. Life is doing the right thing. Life is saving. Life is serving, if it is Facebook. Life is YOLO, LOL, hashtag, something or other. What is it for you that makes life, life? What do you envy when you see it in others? What do you want more of if only you could get it? What would it take to get life right? Since we come to the start of our new series in Ecclesiastes, I think that's what the author wants to help us with. He wants to help us finish the life is sentence. He wants to help us finish it in a way that won't disappoint us and come crumbling down, and to finish it in a way that will help us make the most of life. So, as we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, we're taken to the edge of a, of a great assembly, literally an ecclesia. And we're taken there to hear the results of, of what is, if it's there on your outlines, if you've got those handy, the, the greatest research project of all time. A project with the potential to change every one of our lives. But before we listen in from the edge of the Ecclesia, there's three things we need to know. Three things we need to know if we're going to both understand and believe what we're about to be told. Three things are these. The author, the aim and the scope of this research. See, who is the author? In particular, why should we listen to him? But we should listen, Ecclesiastes says, because this man is, the author of this work, is a a kind of Solomon. Now, now some people argue that it actually is Solomon, others argue that it's kind of like Solomon. I actually don't think it matters. The point is that this man writes as a kind of Solomon, as a Solomon figure you see there in verse 1 and verse 12 and verse 16. Do you catch those? Verse 1, verse 12, verse 16, the son of David, the king of Israel, the ruler of Jerusalem, we're supposed to see this one, if he's not Solomon, and he could be, just like Solomon. We're supposed to hear this one just like Solomon. Why? So that we will trust the very hard things he's about to tell us. After all, do you remember our reading from 1 Kings? Do you remember all that Solomon had? All of his wealth? All of his wisdom? Even more than he-man, we're told? so I take it it's pretty wise. That's what this guy's got. You've heard that expression, the wisdom of Solomon, that's him. You see it in the movies, the treasures of Solomon, that's him. Eminently qualified. Phenomenally resourced. This is Albert Einstein meets, meets kind of Rupert Murdoch. This is the ultimate TEDx about to begin and so listen. Ecclesiastes says, Listen. Listen as he sets his aim on discovering meaning. So, what's the aim of this great research project? It's discovering meaning. And not in an airy, fairy kind of philosophical, let's call it art student sense, a kind of, why am I here? What's the great good of the world? As we come later in the, clear later in the book, that's not really what this research is about. Now, Ecclesiastes is much, much more practical than that. The, the aim of this work is is to simply discover what works, what satisfies, what makes sense of life. See, you'll often hear the claim that what Ecclesiastes is about, it's about the meaning of life. And we've got it on our advertising and it kind of works in the advertising, don't get me wrong. But I don't think that's right. That's not what Ecclesiastes is about. What Ecclesiastes is about is finding meaning in life. In other words, Ecclesiastes asks, what is there in this life that we can hold on to, that we can build our lives upon, that, that we can use to steer the best course possible through this life? And you've probably heard them say, money makes the world go round. Ecclesiastes is going to ask, are they right? Someone once sang, "All you need is love." yadda yadda yeah. Ecclesiastes. Asked, Are they right? This is about where do you find meaning in life, and that becomes clear when you understand the scope of the research. See, see like all good researchers, and same Rob isn't here tonight. You he would have agreed with this. The teacher makes clear the kind of limits of his project, the scope of his work, and what is that? Well, on the one hand, you'll notice there it's absolutely massive. It's everything. Do you see there, verse 2? Everything. It is, verse 14, all the things that are done. It almost seems unlimited. And yet the author wants us to know it is in fact severely limited. And it's really important we understand it. It's limited there, verse 3, to life under the sun. In other words, life here on earth, as if this is all we had to go on. Only what we could see and smell, taste and touch. It's not that the author wants to forget about God, he mentions God a lot in this book, but for the sake of experiment, he says, for the sake of research, let's test this, he says. Let's test only the things God has given us right here, right now. And let's see if we've got what we need to do life well. And that's what we'll see him do. He'll test all the things God has given us. All the things so many people do look to for meaning in life, like work and wisdom and wealth and pleasure. One by one he's going to line them up and test them out. This one most qualified, remember, most able... He's going to search for meaning in life from life. And what will he find? Well, he tells us right up front, verse 2. He'll find nothing. Nothing. See verse 2? Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What What do people gain? From all their labours of which they toil under the sun. In other words, there is nothing in this life that can give meaning to life, the teacher says. But if you're anything like me, you want to say something like, hang on, wait a minute. If you're like, oh, perhaps you want to say, wait a cotton picking minute. Are you saying there's nothing worthwhile in this life? No, the teacher says. Are you saying there's nothing good or real in this life? No, the teacher says. Are you saying there's nothing valuable or fun in this life? No, the teacher says. What I'm saying is this he says there is nothing in this life that you can build your life on, there's nothing in this life that you can hold your weight. The word translated meaningless there in verse 2 is a desperately important one in the book. It's repeated something like 38 times from start to finish. And it comes from a Hebrew word meaning vapor or breath. Uh, to understand it, uh, think of the fog on a winter's morning. Another one that's there in the morning, gone by afternoon. That there in the distance looks like it could hold you up, but when you get close, you just slide through. That's what life is like, says the preacher. Under the sun. In the next few weeks, that's who he's going to defend against all the things we normally look to to build our life on, to hold us up, to hold on to, to give us purpose. But just for now, what he wants to convince us of is that that is true of life in general. And again, I want to say some of us want to come back, don't we? You were wrong, good teacher. I can construct meaning. I've seen it all over the web and I saw it all over the web this week. I can construct meaning by the difference I make. You're a change maker. By the satisfaction I can gain, you're worth it. By the legacy I'll leave behind. But the teacher says, no, you are wrong. Not even there will you construct meaning. Just have a look at verse 4. Generations come, generations go. But the earth remains forever. I'm told that the Uluru, the local guides, used to call the tourists ants. Uh, It doesn't seem a very polite uh, thing to say and it seems a bit strange. Until you enter the visitor centre and you go to the video screen and what they had there was fast motion pictures of all the tourists turning up and then leaving again. And the buses would turn up and the people would swarm out and they'd swarm round and round the rock and off they'd go again. And then the buses would turn up, the people would get out, they'd go round and round the rock and then they'd go again. And the people would turn up I mean, inside the buses, round and round the rock and off they'd go again and all the while the rock just stood. The rock remained unchanged and so it is with you, so it is with life, the teacher says. Look at verse 5, the sun rises, the sun sets, it hurries back to where it began. The wind blows to the south, it turns to the north, round and round, it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the is never fall to the place the streams come from. There they go again. And you can almost hear the kind of metronome of life just clicking away through the... You almost get dizzy by the circle of life that just runs round and round, and all the while we come and we go. When I was growing up, John Cougar Mellencamp, he used to be called that then, saying, oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. I always want to use that in a sermon, here's my chance. <laughs> so says the preacher as he researches life under the sun. With or without us, life goes on. With or without us, nothing changes. And nothing satisfies, verse 8, did you see All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear of hearing. One of my favourite quotes is by uh, the author, actor Barry Humphreys, if you know the one, it's in his, probably his autobiography, it's called More, Please, it goes like this, I always wanted more. I never had enough. Milk money, or socks, or sex, or holidays or first editions, or solitude, or gramophone records, they were a thing back in the, in the day, or free meals, or real friends, or guiltless pleasure, or neckties, or applause, or unquestioning love. Of course, I've always had more than my fair share of all of them. But it always left me with a vague feeling of unfulfillment. I mean, where was all the rest? And that's what life is like, says the preacher. Nothing under the sun ultimately satisfies. But of course, none of us really believe that, though, do we? Especially, can I say, if you are young. You particularly cling to the vaporish hope that the next big thing will do it for you. The next iPhone 6, the non-bendy one, the the next stage of life with a non-bending, no, more, the next promotion at work, when I finally get the girlfriend or the boyfriend or the spouse or the child or the house or the holiday, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll have enough. But, but then if we stop to think we remember, don't we? That's how I felt when I got my iPhone 5, my iPhone 4, my iPhone 3... All that promotion at work, or when we started high school, or when we came home again from those holidays. This really great blog puts it this way, that's life under the sun. It's a life of inadequacy. A life where we're never as fulfilled and satisfied as we want to be. For all the genuine joys this life brings, there is still and always the lingering sorrow of all that life is not and never will be. Nothing changes, nothing satisfies and nothing lasts. You see verse 9, what has been will be again. What's been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time and the clincher, no one remembers the former generations even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. If you want to test this out, by the way, just think of your great-grandparents. Your great-grandparents. In fact, put your hand up if you've ever had great-grandparents. That's all of you, by the way, so hands go up. You're not here if you didn't have great-grandparents. And then take your hand down as soon as you can. answer that. every hand up now. This is what we're doing, okay? You can do it like that if you're uncomfortable. Everyone else like this. Take your hand down again as soon as you can't answer one of these questions. What were their names? Hands up if you know, hands down if you don't. Where did they live? What did they do? What did they like? What did they achieve that you still remember today? One hand left in the back of the room. I'm okay with that. The hand can stay up. Either way, it proves the point, doesn't it? If you don't know if you don't remember, you who more than anyone else in the world has a vested interest in that without them you're not here. Who else will? No one. And as it was for them, so it will be for you. There was a really famous comedy sketch by someone you won't remember, so that just kind of proves the point as well. His name was Tony Hancock, by the way. If you're really old, you might remember, British comedian, 1960s. I know, I didn't know either. It's just kind of, it rolls with it. Anyway, the comedy sketch went like this. It was the last thing he said, the last monologue on TV, sorry, before he suicided. Really poignant, really fascinating. He said this, what have you achieved? What have you achieved? You lost your chance, me old son. You contributed absolutely nothing to life. A waste of time, you being here at all. No place for you at Westminster Abbey. The best you can expect is a few daffodils and a jam jar and a, a rough hewn stone with, with a legend bearing. He came and he went. And in between, nothing. Nobody will even notice you're not here. About a year, somebody might say down the pub, Where's old Hancock? Haven't seen him around lately. Oh, he's dead, you know. Is he? A right reason for existence, that is. And that's how it is, says the teacher. If you look for meaning in life under the sun. And the tragedy is there's nothing you can do about it. You can't solve this. It's in this age where you know, university tests prove or oh, scientists have discovered. You, you could be fooled into thinking if we just put our mind to this, a little more research, a little more technology, we can solve this problem. We can discover true meaning in life. But the preacher goes on to say, no, no, you can't. You can't solve life. You can't think your way into significance. It's just he said there, verse 15, did you see, did you hear it when I read verse 15? What's crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, you can't fix what is bent in this world. You just don't have the wisdom. And you can't count what isn't actually there. Sometimes he's saying, I'll just put the pieces together. I'll just work it out. You just don't have the pieces, says the teacher. Pretending otherwise, it's just that we see verse 17, a chasing after the wind. You'll never catch it. Pretending otherwise, see verse 18, it's just going to end in pain. Uh, I saw a, a quote recently. Uh, filmmaker Woody Allen, uh, it was a quote from earlier this year after making another movie, which I haven't seen. I know I'm not cultured, that's okay. My eyes are too pure to watch it now, it doesn't it? Uh, this is his quote I firmly believe and I don't say this as a criticism, I wish I could do an Alan voice, that life is meaningless. And not alone in thinking this, there have been many great minds, far, far superior to me, that, that have come to that conclusion. Unless somebody can come up with some proof or some example where it's not, I think it is. I think it's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing, and that's just the way I feel about it. I'm not saying we should all opt to kill ourselves, Alan says. The truth of the matter is, when you think of it, every hundred years there's a big flush, and everyone in the world's gone. And then there's a new group of people. And that gets flushed and there's a new group of And this goes on and on indeterminably. And I don't want to upset you, toward no particular end, no rhyme or reason. And I want to say that if all you have is life under the sun, what's here now, what's around us, the preacher absolutely agrees meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. So, what do you do with that? Well, happily, Woody Allen has said you don't go kill yourself, so check that off. That's not what you do. What do you do? Well, it's just three things that are there in your outlines. First, you get real. You firmly resist the lie that life is enough to give us meaning for life. You stop looking to yourself. I know this is how we're brought up these days. You stop looking to yourself and your own significance or the difference you make or the legacy you'll leave to measure yourself, to find purpose for yourself. If you saw anything of the eulogy of Gough Whitlam, the eulogies that came out, the memorials of Gough Whitlam, you have to say they were wonderful. I mean, that man made, and love him or hate him, he made a difference. Yet, I want to say that is not what gives him or his life meaning. Even with that legacy, he is still dead. And one day he too will be forgotten, just like us. So, I want to say it's actually really healthy to just get real. And then I want to suggest that you feel free. So I don't know what the book of Ecclesiastes has just done for you. Pretty bleak sounding story. From this is from a God-fearer. He's not trying to bring you down actually. See, I don't know about you, but this book, I think more than any other book in the Bible, has always made me feel free. I think I often get caught in a lie that I need to be someone to be someone, that this here has to be really good for me to be worthwhile, that I have to kind of make a difference to be valuable in the world. And the book of Ecclesiastes reminds me, I don't. I just don't. You don't. You are someone, whether you make a difference or not, in the eyes of the world. You are someone, whether you've got the kind of test book legacy to leave or not, so, I can tell you what this does for me, it just makes me feel free to just be me and let God take care of the rest. Brings to the third suggestion there and I want to say that is to look elsewhere. See, if you're here and you're not a Christian tonight and you are looking for meaning in life, to find meaning for life, you are looking in the wrong place. And I want to say too, if you are a Christian, And you are looking in life for meaning for life. You're looking in the wrong place. No matter what the advertisers tell us, no matter what our culture tells us, no matter what your neighbours are doing, real meaning, real value, real satisfaction, real life does not come from this life. It comes from somewhere else. See, according Ecclesiastes, I think if you'd have finished that sentence, life is, at least so far in the book, I want to say, life is more than this. <coughs> life is more than this. As we wrap it up tonight, there's a great story told about these two boys who were sitting around on a, on a rainy summer's day and they decided to do a jigsaw puzzle. It's going to give you some sort of clue just how bored uh, that they were. Anyway, they did a jigsaw puzzle and the story goes that they made absolutely no progress. Couldn't work it out. So one of the boys kind of flips the lid of the box, looks on the other side and what does he see? He sees kind of medieval scene with the king in the centre and he yells out to his friend, now I see it, the king is in the centre. Of course, once they recognise that, all the other pieces fall into place. All of the rest begins to make sense. Friends, as we come to the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I want to pray that it may be that way for us. That we may see, not yet in Ecclesiastes, as we travel through the Bible, the king in the centre. Now, we always look to Jesus to make real sense of this world. Now, I want to say, I don't think we're going to make sense of absolutely everything this side of Jesus' return. But I pray we trust him all the same. They wouldn't choose the lacklustre alternatives, but we'd build our life on him, the one who gives true meaning. As Paul will say to the Corinthians, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. You are in Christ Jesus who has become for us meaning for life. We're going to hear more and more about that over the next few weeks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much that you never, ever hide from reality. We thank you that in the book of Ecclesiastes you have begun and you will continue to show us what is real. Thank you for showing us tonight that life under the sun, if this is all there is, there will be no meaning in life. We thank you, Father, for lifting our eyes up to heaven, that we might look to Jesus and find true meaning. We pray that for every single one of us in the room that we would humbly bow before him and not look to our own significance. That we would joyfully live for him, being free from what he has done for us. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.